You ever put all your hopes and dreams and thoughts and efforts and duties and responsibilities into figuring out and hoping and wishing and praying that you were on the spectrum, a little autistic, and then come to find out you're not, you're just kind of weird? Yeah. No? Oh. No, me neither. Look, I figured it would explain a lot, right? Uh, you know, you can always hope. You can always... It adds a little bit of a... Mm, character, a little bit of a... Like, wow. You know? It's like... Uh, it's like what uh, Pete Davison says about smoking weed all the time. It's like... If I fuck up, you know? It's like, well, dude, I'm high. But if I do really good, it's like, wow, I did all that despite being high, Right? So it's like the whole spectrum thing, right? Everybody, now it's kind of coming to the forefront. Everybody's on the spectrum. Everybody bubbles to the surface of the spectrum, right? Uh, Elon Musk is on the spectrum, of course. Um, I was even reading um, about uh, David Byrne, like uh, the lead, the front man and uh, kind of group band alpha male of uh, the talking heads which I don't know if he would ever claim to be some alpha male but he definitely like that's a guy now okay so uh, bear with me here because I know a lot of my stories start with me in some remote weird place smoking hash in a small caravan in Scotland but that's exactly how this started out the story I was I was smoking hash in a caravan in Scotland on a farm and with this guy uh who also worked on the farm his name was Stuart Stuart Hello Stuart how you doing Stuart and uh he was straight Scottish full on and uh um on like weekends we would drive around um, to like St. Andrews and the coast and stuff like that. But at night, um, I would sneak down to his, his caravan and, uh, we would smoke hash and talk music. Like he was really like, I was surprised cause this was, well, yeah, it was 95, it was December, November, December, 95, the height of like Brit pop and the uh, the new wave of Britpop, but um, and and kind of near where like grunge was kind of dissolving because Kurt Cobain had killed himself the year before, and there was a slow, steady slide into uh, obscurity for that for that um, for that niche movement of. You know, I know, and I never really was into Pearl Jam, you know? Like, is that music? But, uh, but when I was sitting, I'd sit in this caravan, we'd be talking about Nirvana, talking about, uh, Neil Young, um, how there'd just be like a big crack rock hanging out of his nose while he was performing like the most amazing version of uh, Heart of Gold ever, live, 
<laughs> but he said, do you know David Byrne is Scottish, you know? If it's not Scottish, it's just crap. And I'm like, I didn't know that. Of course, Byrne is very, particularly his spelling, B-Y-R-N-E, is very uh, Scottish. And uh, and I had known about David Byrne. Well, my one of my roommates in college, this guy Bill Frampton, lives in Hawaii, from Hawaii. From Hawaii, growing in the sun. Whether you cook, whether you bake, for goodness sakes, get CNH, CNH, pure cane sugar, that's the one. Uh, he was, a, he, like, obsessed with talking heads. Um, and I like it, like, like, it's almost like all he listened to, really. And I don't know. I don't know. If, you know, the Talking Heads had, like, a real kind of a... Uh, what's, the, what's the word? Like, a, a real... Um, not, not Caribbean, but, like, a real tropical influence on their uh, last album. What was it? Uh, Naked? Um... And he played that a lot. The one with the monkey on the cover. And, uh, you know, nothing but flowers. There was a factory. Now it's all mountains and rivers. You got it. You got it. But he loved, he was obsessed with them. So we did, you'd, you'd always hear him prattle on about it. But, um, but this guy, Stuart, he said, of course, he, the, the Scots, along, with the Irish are very, very, very proud of their heritage, right? So they'll tell you who's who, right? Like David Byrne is Scottish, which is very, it's, it is, it is very much a fact. Uh, I think he also told me that about Robbie Burns, the poet who would, uh, Scottish poet who would, he's the one who wrote the poem Auld Lang Syne. For old acquaintance be forgot, you know. Like the one we sing every year, New Year's. That's a Scottish poem by Robbie Burns. But, uh, but, yeah, David Byrne, man, he always kind of tripped me out a little. And I think because my first kind of exposure to him was like burning down the house. That that music video uh, where like his face is superimposed on a highway, like a like. A, there's a car, like, it's, like, driving at night, and then there's, like, this filmic image, like, an 8 millimeter image of his face on the pavement of the road, the beginning of that song. Watch out, Bennett, Bennett, you might get what you're after. Cool, baby, Bennett. Strange but not a stranger I'm an ordinary guy Burning down the house So that song was so like uh, Came off to me as like really kind of a menacing song And this guy who just Didn't kind of change much In the way of facial expressions, right? Had kind of this look like He almost looked like a kind of a stroke Like a stroke victim Am I right? But looking back now, see, I, re- I was reading up on him. Why I don't remember. Something about David Byrne. I can't remember what. I don't know why. I, why? Why his name? I think because I was listening to like a, 
my 80s mix on Spotify. And, uh, of course, the Talking Heads were huge, huge. And, uh, and I just, and then over the years, there's just been so many, uh, um, there's been so many, like, uh, anyway, that's, that's my new karaoke song for sure. Burning down the house. Um, but they, yeah, they were, they were, uh, talking heads were huge. And, 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 and I was always kind of, uh, bumping into like, um, situations where I would wander into the, like the wrong movie and, but the movie we'd end up watching would be like, stop making sense or, you know, uh, like the concert movie where he's wearing the oversized, uh, sport jacket and, uh, or just accident or just, just on a whim, just, I think I rented, um, true stories one time. Like, what is this? It's so strange. Like his, his demeanor is so odd. It is odd. Like, and so upon reading that he, um, considers himself on the spectrum though though he was not uh, ever professionally diagnosed it makes perfect sense now um because a lot of stuff that he does you you gotta go is this this a put on because he went to you know he's one of those guys that went to the rhode island school design so he's got like that artistic background type thing so it's kind of it added a lot to like the videos, how kind of left of center, kind of odd, kind of a little esoteric, kind of a, you know, that's kind of what it was, is like a, um, like a, uh, kind of a ephemeral es- esoterica. It's like ephemeral esoterica. It's like just stuff that you, kind of don't quite get but you're like but you go along with it right it's just a little mm, odd but uh nevertheless anyway i don't i like him he's he's a trip he he's still around he's he still he still has this kind of he's kind of taken on this kind of um like a godfather of new wave type persona still has all of his hair it's just whitish gray I mean he looks like some kind of elder statesman that just came from the 70s art scene you know back in the days when you know there was like CBGB's the 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 punk club like that and that's interesting too because that's how they cut their teeth that's how the talking heads came up is through the punk scene but he was just like this straight he looked like this just this thin straight laced kind of uh polo shirt wearing square kind of really but it almost kind of added it it kind of contributed to the esoterica right um like aren't you fascinated by this guy i am it's just weird he's so strange and he he used to uh according to his wikipedia uh, i guess he used to travel by bike a lot uh around town uh, particularly when he moved to New York uh, in like the late seventies or early eighties, because um, he was born in Scotland, and then his his parents moved to like Canada, and then from there he went down. He moved down to like uh, one of the eastern states. Eventually, ultimately, ended up in New York. But uh, yeah, he's such a trip, man. But 
So this guy Stuart was telling me all about him. And, uh, but, but, but I digress. But, um, but, 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 um, but let me back up. So, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do text here. I'm getting, I'm getting text from my dispatch. You want me to go do some other bullshit, but, uh, so I was watching, so naturally I was watching a lot of college football this, this weekend again, and, um, God, Saturday night was, uh, Fresno State and University of Nevada, Reno, Fresno State's got a top 25, they're 25th, they're ranked 25th, they look good, um, what else was going um i don't i was i well there's a lot of college that i didn't uh i didn't watch everything but i watched enough where i thought uh you know there's always like it's any given sunday right that's the expression like so last friday i was what i was doing my degenerate deviant um due diligence <laughs> and they had uh, uh Oregon State and Utah the Pac-12 uh 10th rank Utah just I don't uh well they they didn't have their QB so they ended up losing to Oregon State Oregon State looks good I gotta admit it they're like uh they're ranked 19th um Michigan just fucking beat Nebraska like a redheaded stepchild. Um, oh, and then USC was laying a whoop, whooping, just laying a beat down, like just like these, like they're pistol whipping a blind kid uh, in the Colorado game. And then Colorado, it was like 48-21 at one point and uh, just beating them like a drum. And then uh, when Colorado scores like the last 20 points of the game, like where the hell were you? Well, they were in Colorado, but still, they end up losing only by seven points. It's kind of like I say, football is kind of topsy turvy, back and forth. Um, Oregon laid a beat down on Stanford. Uh, what are the surprises? Mm. Mm. Eh. And then, uh, well, in the uh, realm of. NFL, the NFL, the Bills mollywopped the freaking uh, Dolphins. Like what? What a what a difference a week makes, huh? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. After dropping seventy on the Broncos, uh, the Dolphins went into Buffalo and got their ass handed to them. Um, Broncos finally, but the Broncos finally got the first win over the the lowly hapless bears so it's kind of you know despite the fact that the nfl prints money there is it seems like there's a little parody but the parody comes from the injuries and so forth but but i was so as i but as as i was looking into like the the college scores and stuff i was um i was looking at uh you know i don't i drop i just dropped my youngest office uc santa cruz and it dawned on me that I, I knew nothing about 
UC Santa Cruz as a uh, as a sports kind of entity, and so I just did a small little dive on them, and uh, they are uh, they're desperately under the radar. They're certainly under the radar. Uh, they're Division Three, which is you know, neither here nor there. I think because I think Humboldt State back in the day was Division Three. Um, I almost went, ended up going to a Division Three school in uh, Redlands, down south, out in the desert, out in the Southern California desert. Um, but uh, but their school records are like they're definitely those of a Division Three school. Um, one guy has all the all the distance records from the fifteen hundred through the ten thousand. This guy, some guy named Eric Jackson, Eric with a with a CK, and he's run a three fifty three fifteen hundred, a fourteen forty eight five thousand, and a thirty thirty seven ten thousand, and which are all respectable times, but. Um, Uh, for Division Three, but uh, what was f- fa- more than that? What was m- fascinating to me is their conference, and it's they're in what's called the Coast to Coast Athletic Conference. Now, this sounds like a nightmare. This sounds like the worst conference ever. But uh, who are the teams? There are seven. Seven teams in this conference, and then uh, in parentheses it says six in 2024. So one, so one of them is going to get dissolved. But the member schools now dig this, okay? Christopher Newport University in Virginia, the University of Mary Washington in Virginia, Mount Mary University in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Pratt Institute. In Brooklyn, New York, Salisbury University in Salisbury, Maryland, then UC Santa Cruz, then uh, Warren Wilson College in North Carolina. So that's seven. It looks as though the Pratt Institute's probably going to be the one to be dissolved. But everything is on the East Coast, um, except for Santa Cruz. It's the weirdest. It's one of the weirdest conferences. I like. How do you, how do you compete against people? Like, if you're constantly flying coast to coast every, every weekend for your competition, is that what's going on? Like, who are they primarily running against? This is so bizarre. There's no like they don't. I don't know. I don't. Know. But uh, evidently, they're not really a. Uh, um, Athletic juggernaut, right? Like, do they, I, I think they they might have a football team. I don't even know. The only thing I know is that Andy Samberg went there and uh, Maya Rudolph went there. <laughs> so, so uh, which is cool because that's, that's what my youngest is studying. She's studying theater arts. She's a theater arts person. She's very dramatic. So, it should work out. And, um... And that kind of is my segue into uh, talking about yet another 
uh, person that's, in my opinion, probably on the spectrum as well, right? And it's this book. I finally, so Friday when I was waiting to pick up or Ferox has stopped in at the Ferox library and I came across the newest biography on Sam Shepard. Now this cat is something else, right? Um, speaking of theater arts, he, of course, I don't know. I mean, the general knowledge with him, I think, is... Uh, That most people don't really... They know him as an actor. Um, I was telling my mom, like, I, I got this biography. She's like, well, you should check out the movie Pelican Brief. With, like, I think Denzel Washington and... Uh, is Julie Roberts in that one? And then he's in it? And I'll, I'll never see... I Maybe, by accident, I'll watch it. But... Uh, the more distinct movies I recall him being in were, like, uh, Days of Heaven... The Terrence Malick movie, Terrence Malick's second feature back in 73, I think. And, uh, of course, All the Right Stuff. The movie directed by Philip Coffin based on the book by Tom Wolfe, The Right Stuff, about the first space program where he played Chuck Yeager. And I thought, man, this guy, this motherfucker is the coolest motherfucker alive. Like, there's, there are movies that... Um, When you see them, you want to be that person, right? That the, the, the acting was so good. The guy, the role was so cool. Um, one was, in my opinion, one one big one was um, Brad Pitt in Fight Club. And then the other one would be Sam Shepard in The Right Stuff, where he played Chuck Yeager, the first guy to break the sound barrier. And, uh, but... Sam Shepard really cut his teeth on playwriting. He's a playwright. He's a he's a award-winning playwright. Um, he won several Obie Awards. He won. Um, I think he's got. I think he's probably won the Pulitzer. I think. Um, but I'm about oh 100 pages into it. I'm a, I'm, so he's and, and he's such a, an an enigma, really an an enigma. But I think he also was on the spec. Well, maybe. Um, his plays are just so bizarre. Curse of the Starving Class, Buried Child, uh, Fool for Love, which they made into a movie directed by Robert Altman, which didn't play so well. But um, but the themes are all really... They're really abstract themes. They're really abstract stories. Um, he's an abstract guy. He's such a um, paradox, you know. And but so far, so far, I'm at the point where. So he grew up in a, a, a town called Duarte, uh, which is Southern California, which is kind of out in the Empire Valley. I think it's in the Empire Valley, or it's near there, near San, like San Bernardino, kind of in that shitty area. Kind of near Redlands. Um, and it was kind of a... Mm, not not a particularly diverse area because it was uh, in the area he lived in 
after hours, they, they wouldn't let, uh, I know it was odd, they wouldn't let black people in and around the neighborhoods he lived in when sun went down. So there was a lot of, well, there's a little bit of segregation, still some segregation back in the, and this, but this is, you know, this is in the 50s, of course, like, um, but oddly enough, he did, he did go to high school with uh, Charles Mingus III, who was the son of Charles Mingus, who, as you know, is one of the great jazz bassists, uh, upright bass players of all time. And, uh, and a huge civil rights activist, but, um, and they became friends. Um, I think he was, uh, he, he kind of, I think he recruited him into a play he was doing or something like, or some kind of performance, according to the book, which when it, when it was all said and done, Mingus didn't quite care for the role and chucked this, like, rolling uh, office chair off the stage and into the audience or into the, the bleachers and, and, and left in a fit of rage uh, when he found out was, what his role was going to be which I guess Sam Shepard thought this was the funniest thing ever. But there was some discrepancy as to how they uh, kind of parted ways as friends. Because they, they, were, they, were, uh, they were real close for a long time. And then, um, but there was some disagreement as to how their friendship dissolved. And what I'm finding is that Sam Shepard really kind of uh, embellished a lot of his background to the point where he even changed his own name. His real name is Steve Rogers. His dad was a B-24 bomber pilot in uh, World War II. And then when he got out, he was asked to, like many people, just integrate back into normal society and become a teacher. That didn't work for him, and he became an alcoholic. And then he became a really demonstrative alcoholic that crippled the family and left a lot of severe kind of psychological damage on uh, his his wife and the kids, there's two kids, uh, Sam Shepard and his sister. And so I think that kind of um, speaks a lot in his work. Um, his dad died of alcoholism, kind of in a sad way. He was a teacher for like 17 years too, like a, well, a well-respected teacher, but he, um, but his life just kind of dissolved. He kind of had probably what people would have called PTSD or at the time, maybe he was shell-shocked or uh, what they called back then being shell-shocked, which is now what they call PTSD. But um, but he just, but Sam, he, he ended up enrolling in uh, in school at Mount Sac College, which is so funny. Like, I've been to Mount Sac like f- half a dozen times for various, like a track race, cross-country races. Um, and... Uh, Again, it's kind of in the middle of like a concrete jungle, highways, uh, nothing particularly aesthetically pleasing around there. But he enrolled in some classes there, uh, which were short-lived, and then he ended up just bouncing and taking off on the road. And he got a uh, he got into theater, and he ended up uh, touring with a, a bunch of theater players that. Cr- that basically just traveled uh, 
from gig to gig until they made it to the East Coast. And then he branched off from there and just started, uh, I don't know, just, just becoming kind of a strange kind of unhinged character where he'd work jobs as like night security guards and stuff like that until eventually he ended up uh, getting a job bussing tables at this club called the Village Gate and um, which was in the which was in Greenwich Village so um, and this was in the 60s when it was all kind of breaking loose there was like uh all the great jazz mus- musicians were coming through there, like Duke Ellington and uh, Nina Simone, the great jazz singer. Um, and um, But again, his recollection was strange because um, he would recount these stories to people about running into Nina Simone at the Village Gate, but there was there was kind of a discrepancy as far as like the fact that she ever played that club or didn't play on those nights or whatever so again it was like he had this kind of he, cre- he kind of created this this new persona of him and um but the persona that kind of and i'm not that far into the book yet but uh as he got more popular and this was kind of as he started getting probably more acting gigs he well the book's called true west and he's got kind of western kind of vibe thing going on right but uh he is i would say anything but that in this time period you know he's into jazz he's into the improvisation he's into um he's hanging out with people like Patti Smith, Charles Mingus, uh, kind of avant-garde, kind of countercultural types. Uh, he didn't, and he wasn't even that, he, he was, to my knowledge, never even really been that political. But, um, but based on the strength of some of these plays that he started writing, he um, gained a lot of notoriety early on when he was like 22, 21 so he had a he um created a, a a persona for himself pretty early on and then that that led to some screenwriting gigs uh one in particular he wrote uh or helped write the movie uh, Zabriskie Point the Michelangelo Antonioni uh pick that takes place in Death Valley like there's so much like that's his thing like that's what I think of when I think of Sam Shepard I think a lot of desert scapes I think of a lot of um, Western dead end towns. There's a book he I found a book of his years and years ago that I read called Motel Chronicles, and it's not very long, and it's really just uh, some really short stories, some poems uh, with little to no structure, little to no. Um, just like I say it just really like this would be something that would lend itself to maybe somebody on the spectrum right because I think they really they consider him they they consider him to be something of a you know a genius talent 
because what he was writing in his plays early on was nothing that anybody else was doing. Um, this was at the time when Edward Albee was coming out with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and uh, Zoo Story. And uh, for whatever and for whatever reason, a lot of the playwrights back then, Tennessee Williams and Edward Albee, I think they were all gay. And here comes this guy who looked like he came out of like a Stetson ad, right? And he's writing these kind of weird, esoteric, avant-garde stories kind of strange plays with no endings that are just kind of these fragmented psychological kind of mind fucks. And that's kind of what, actually, that's kind of what Zabriskie point was, kind of this weird, like, Antonioni was trying to make a political statement. Sam Shepard didn't really, he wasn't really political, didn't really give a fuck about the politics aspects of, of it, so to speak. And he didn't much even care for the the way that it was made studio wise. He wasn't he was real hand to mouth. He was like, you know, perform plays in churches and off off Broadway. Off off Broadway like way off Broadway. And uh just wasn't mm, wasn't seduced by the limousines and the stays at Chateau Marmont which he was doing but but again it was like that was a byproduct of the existence of being a screenwriter slash playwright actor whatever he was at the time so he wasn't really buying in so he'd always been kind of like a real uh, mm, what do you call it like a Mm, kind of a contrarian maybe almost like a contrarian like whatever you were thinking he'd go the other way right wherever the crowd was going he'd go the other way whatever the crowd was thinking he'd think the other way and i get it i get it you know it's, but he's such a fascinating like uh he's just a he's just a real uh complex dude uh he ended up dying of ALS I didn't realize he even had ALS when he died died in 2016 and um but he I don't want to I don't want to overdo a lot of it but like he'd been married a couple times he just was a hard guy to kind of uh to just get a did a to get a bead on and uh but he wrote like Paris, Texas. He helped write Paris, Texas, which won the best picture at Cannes Film Festival. Again, it's another desert scape, you know, the be- the beginning of that movie shows Harry Dean Stanton, who's an odd character and perfect for any Sam Shepard movie or play, wandering through the desert of uh Texas. And uh it seems like most things with Sam Shepard begin or end or transpire somewhere in some kind of desert scape, right? Some kind of big, wide-open expanse of nothingness, right? I guess that would be a fair representation of what this, this guy seemed to be. <laughs> just, just, just odd. Just, just a, a, a just an interesting, fascinating 
kind of pseudo cowboy poet. Yeah, yeah, like a pseudo cowboy poet, right? And um, I should write that down. That's good. Pseudo cowboy poet. Bink. And um, yeah, but another guy that I'm just. I've always kind of had a weird fascination with him. Um, his writing isn't even, I don't think it's that great. It's nothing, there's nothing, you know, it's not like something you, it's not something comparable you could put side by side with, you know, uh, like a big grand uh, behemoth literary figure. But you could kind of put it next to, well, I say that, but then you go, eh, what about Samuel Beckett? Yeah. That's kind of what, it, that was his thing. That was his dude, Samuel Beckett. You know, waiting for Godot, all that stuff. You know, just strange, just odd, one-act, kind of strange, non-ending plays, right? <laughs> and, uh, God, yeah, just, I don't know. It's a good book. And I'm, I'm reading big chunks out of it but it's just interesting how there's so many discrepancies with what he selectively recounts versus what really happened but uh yeah yeah so so there you go so um what else man what else other than that man i just been i've been laid up over the weekend I, i think i got tendonitis in my ankle from just walking hiking too much I iced a little. I took Saturday and Sunday off. And, uh, and I kind of, uh, was a little disoriented, but I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put too much on it. I'm just, I just gotta, this will be my, this will be my, my rebirth. This will be kind of like where I've got to kind of let everything kind of dissolve, let it kind of burn to a, an ash and then rise from the ashes, rebuild, restart, regroup, and do it again, build it back up. Because, uh, there's, I, I, I definitely, um, notice a difference when I'm not, like, I have to get out in the mornings, but I'm not, it's, um, it was also getting it, it. You know, there's times when things get to a point where it's too systematic, and you have to kind of tear things down and start over. It's kind of a. It's very. It's very David Bowie. It's very like a reinvention of things, and that's maybe that's what I'm going through right now. I've been kind of in a in a strange little funk, and I think that's what it is. It's kind of a re doing a rein, reinvention of sorts, right? And. uh or a mini rebirth. We're going into fall. Everything's, you know, and that, and that's what, you know, things are going to start to die now. So everything that was abundant, everything that was growing and flourishing throughout the spring and summer is now at that point in the cycle where it's starting to dry up and die off. And so that's where I'm kind of at with my, uh, my tendonitis and my ankle. Um, and other than that, it's been great. Uh, things have been going well. 
And that's why you've got to, that's another reason why you got to kind of stop sometimes and reshuffle because when things get too, they get too well, you get complacent about things. So it is good to kind of just burn things down and rebuild, start over. So that's where I'm at. And that's what's up. And that's what's going on. So I don't know what else to tell you all, but I hope you're having a great morning. I hope you're having a great day. And I hope you have a great week. And uh, other than that, I think I got everything covered. I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, babies.